Hey, cool story real quick, because I'm always full of cool stories. Um, this past week at the Finding Hope Center, uh, you, one thing you know about me, I love to celebrate big miracles and little miracles. This is a big and a little one right at the exact same time. Uh, we were getting ready for appointments this Thursday, had three appointments, nine families in seven days being served through our ministry center. And of those uh, appointments, we were kind of going through some stuff, taking inventory, and we noticed that in the room where we have the comforters and sheets, that we were basically down on comforters, almost had none left, and that we were going to have to go and purchase some comforters to get ready for the next few weeks of appointments that are coming up. And just kind of on a whim, I told Pastor Joe and I told Jenny, our director over there, I said, you know what? I'm going to text my friend Josh at the Stowe Mission. Y'all remember the Stowe Mission we collected food for just a couple of months ago? I said, sometimes he has comforters that he could give us. Maybe they'll have a few that they can donate to, to give us to get through the next couple of weeks. And so I got on my phone, texted him, I said, hey, Josh, um, we're really low on comforters. Is there any way you might have a few that you could spare to be able to help with the Finding Hope Center? He texts back simply the the, the one little phrase, LOL. And I was like, I don't know what's funny about that. I needed comforters. <laughs> and then he responded with, not joking, just unloaded two pallets of comforters. See you Monday. Big miracles, little miracles, even the Stowe Mission, which is an organization that serves those in need across uh, central Ohio, especially there in, in downtown the Columbus area, uh, they're going to provide us with comforters. And I mean, he had literally just finished moments before unloading two full pallets of comforters right when we texted him. You see, God often has the provision already in place before we ask the question of what we need from him. And that's the Jesus that we serve. Hey, John chapter 14, if you have a copy of the scriptures, if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word. John chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 16 and read down through verse 17. Jesus speaking, and he says these words, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. And the world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you, and he will be, here's our key phrase, in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for the time that we've had together this morning, singing and praising and giving, giving you the glory and the worship that you deserve. God, I pray that you would teach us now from all of these scriptures that we're going to be looking at this morning, God, that you would bring clarity to that which is unclear when it comes to the Spirit of God in our lives. God, would you teach us, mold us, grow us, shape us into the image and likeness of Jesus. Father, give us the ears we need to hear from you hearts to receive your word. Lord, we don't want to just be hearers, but we want to do something with what you say. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You've probably heard me tell this story before, and if you listen to our podcast, I mentioned it this past week, but it's a story of a little girl who had recently given her life to Jesus. And after this girl had given her life to Jesus, she was baptized at her church just a few days later, but she kind of entered into a, a panic mode. And she entered into a panic mode one day and became running down the stairs and she was searching frantically for her mom. And in this panic mode, she found her mother and she said, Mom, Mom, I got a question. I need your help with something. I'm really worried. And the mom said, All right, sweetheart, what's going on? And she said, Mom, here's my question. Now that I'm a Christian, where's Jesus? Well, the mom was a little bit confused by the question, and she said, well, sweetie, you just gave your life to Jesus just a week or so ago. If if you're really a Christian, Jesus is now in your heart. To which the girl kind of hung her head down, and she almost looked in the state of panic and confusion at the same time. And with her voice kind of sinking, she looked at her mom, and she said, mom, we got a problem. 
Mom, I don't think Jesus is in my heart anymore. Or mom's still confused over this whole conversation. She said, sweetheart, why would you say that? Where's Jesus? And she said, mom, I am pretty sure that Jesus is stuck in my throat. And the little mom looked at her little girl and she said, sweetheart, I don't understand. Why would Jesus be stuck in your throat? When you got saved, Jesus is in your heart, but you think he's stuck in your throat now. Why would you say that? And I love this little phrase that the little girl used. She said, mama, Jesus must be stuck in my throat because I can't stop talking about him. I love that. And friends, what I want to talk about this morning is what I believe to be one of the most taken-for-granted gifts that you and I possess as Jesus followers. God in us. That because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us, there are extensive and life-changing realities when we understand that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, as Paul says it, resides inside of you and me. That if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, there's a moment in time when you repented of sin and you've confessed Jesus as Lord. The Bible says then that the Spirit of God resides inside of you. It's what we want to talk about in our ghost story series today. If you remember in week one, just to give you a brief overview rather quickly, Pastor Joe talked about how in the Old Testament we see the Spirit of God in Genesis as a creator, and that carries over into the New Testament. In Revelation 21 and 22, at the creation of the new heavens and new earth, where then the Spirit of God will cry out to you and me into eternity and say, come, enter into the blessing that has been prepared for you. Last week, we looked at this idea that the Spirit of God is the illuminator and regenerator of the human heart. That if it wasn't for the Spirit of God, you and I wouldn't know that we are sinners. Rather, we would stay dead in our sin, and there's nothing we could do about it. But because the Spirit of God is gracious and merciful to us, it illuminates our hearts to the reality that we're sinners, and we need a Savior who is named Jesus. And this week, I want us to look at this idea of the Spirit of God indwelling our lives, God in us, not simply God with us. I'm going to be totally honest with you, though, this week. If you've ever seen the movie Up before, I think this really um, helps qualify what I'm about to say. In the movie Up, there's a dog named Doug. You know what I'm talking about? Doug was a dog who had a voice pack so he could speak English. But one of the things about Doug, if you've ever seen the movie Up, is Doug would be having a general conversation with you. All of a sudden, a squirrel would buy, walk by and Doug, squirrel! He was just over there immediately. And I felt like that was my sermon preparation this week. Like I would, I would get some like clear direction on what I believe God wanted us to, to talk about this morning. And then all of a sudden I'd see something else in the scriptures like, well, maybe we need to go this direction. Maybe we need to go this direction. So I'll be totally honest with you. This is total transparency. If this makes zero sense to you this morning, just on your way home, listen to last week's message again. All right? I, I am, I am, I, I'm always excited to, to preach God's word. I'm, I'm like extra excited this morning. And so do your best to track with me. Like we're going to learn and grow together in this. Um, but I really want us to see, to the best of my ability, I want to elevate the word of God. I want us to understand the doctrine of God in us, the indwelling spirit of God in our lives. But to do that, I need you to open up to the book of Genesis. So turn back to the very first book in your Bible. I want us to see this heart that God has to be with his people that starts in Eden, but then is ultimately going to culminate in heaven. And, and we'll do our best to, to kind of journey on this path today, and hopefully you're able to track along with me. Two simple points if you're a note taker. The first one is this, is this reality of God with us. And the first hint that we have of this, this concept of God being with his people is in Genesis, where we see Adam and Eve's relationship with God in the Garden of Eden. 
Now, when I say that phrase, God with us, that's a very general statement. What do we mean by that? It means that we serve a God who is different than any other, quote, God that has ever existed or ever will exist. Every other God is a false God, but what makes our God unique is that our God desires to share a deep, close, personal, intimate connection with human beings, with his creation. How do we know that? Just think of a few thoughts here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. In Genesis 1, 26, we see that human beings are the only ones of God's creation who actually share his image. When God creates man, he says, let us create man in our image. We're the only one of creation where God actually says that. Well, what does that mean? There's speculation. I'm sure you have some preconceived ideas of what the image of God is. Let me give you a few of them. First off, most people would agree that the image of God in us is our ability to be self-conscious. Right? There, there's three time, types of life on the earth. There's unconscious life, there's um, self-conscious life, and then there is just conscious life. Let me explain this to you. Unconscious life. That would be things like plants and trees and weeds and dandelions. Those are un, 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 unconscious. There's conscious life. That's like your dog. Your dog has um, like life different than that of a plant, different than that of a tree, but your dog, shockingly, is not self-aware. Did you know that? Animals function from a place of instinct. It's a gift that God has given them. But human beings, we're the only one of God's creation that are self-aware. God created us that way because we're made in His image. Here's the second thing. We're the only ones of God's creation that have morality. That's God's image in us. It shows that we serve a relational God that wants structure and order in our lives. It's the way God works. Ducks don't have morals. Did you know that? If you've never been, that's free today. Ducks don't have morals. Caterpillars, never seen a caterpillar with morals. Caterpillars don't have laws that they follow. They function through the instinct in which God placed inside of them. So what makes this unique is image bearers. Here's the third one. This is important. We're the only one of God's image bearers, these only ones created in his image, that were tasked to express dominion over our God's creation. We're his agents of dominion here on this earth. Those are three important things about the image of God. But here's what I believe to be the most important. You and I are the only ones of God's creation with the ability and invitation to have an intimate personal relationship with our creator. The only ones. Of all of God's creation, we are the only ones with the invitation and the ability to have a close, intimate, personal relationship with our God. We get a glimpse of this in Genesis chapter 3. Flip forward to two chapters in your Bible. We've got a lot of scripture this morning, so keep your fingers um, agile. In Genesis chapter 3, this is a verse written after Adam and Eve have fallen, but I want us to view this through a lens of a pre-fall world. Because in Genesis 3 verse 8, we get a glimpse here of what it was like for Adam and Eve to be in a close relationship with God. Look at this right here. It says, Then the man, that's Adam, and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. So again, what's happened here is Adam and Eve have sinned. They've fallen away from God, chose sin over God. But it's believed that previous this verse that Adam and Eve had a regular appointed time of walking with God in some capacity in the Garden of Eden. Most Most theologians would agree to that reality, that this was a regular occurrence, that at the time of the evening breeze, that God would join Adam and Eve, and they would spend time together walking through this creation that God had given them. But it begs the question, like, this is where my brain goes, what was that like? 
I mean, can you imagine being in this state of, of sinlessness in this garden that God had specifically prepared for you and have the ability every evening to walk and talk with your God? I mean, what was that like, walking with God? There tends to be three separate ideas. This is, we're going to get into some theology today, so, so track with me. The first two are what's known as, as theophanies. The big Bible word, impressed? I hope so. It's a theophany. What does that mean? It means that you take God, who is a spiritual being, and you give him uh, characteristics or he manifests himself in a way that's perceivable by human beings. So some people would say when God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve, that that was simply the sound of of the breeze of God in in the garden with them. Now think Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. You remember what happened in Pentecost? They're all in the upper room praying for the coming spirit. And what happens? The sound of the Holy Spirit filled that room. It was a perceivable presence of God himself among the apostles. Some would say, well, that's what's going on here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, that this was just a, a wind of, the, of God that would visit Adam and Eve each evening. And that's why they perceived this, this sound, maybe. The second one that people think is that maybe God took on more of a, a symbolic form, that maybe he, he manifested himself in the form of a cloud or form of, of fire, similar to how he did in Exodus with the nation of Israel, that he would lead them by a pillar of cloud by day or a pillar of fire by night. But others tend to believe when we think of God walking with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 verse 8, that this is what's known not as a theophany, but a Christophany. It's so much better. That this was a pre-incarnate son of God walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. Let me put that in in more um, accessible terms. It, It was Jesus. That Jesus, as John 1 says, who was present and active at the beginning of creation, would daily manifest himself in some sort of a a human form to be with his people, to walk and talk and to be in communion and relationship with Adam and Eve in the garden. You're saying, that sounds crazy. Read the Old Testament. It happened a lot. Genesis 18 with Abraham. It happened there. Think of Daniel and, or not Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace and the fourth person in there. That was pre-incarnate son of God manifesting himself and dwelling with his people. So we don't know how God showed up. I lean that one direction, but here's what we know about our God. His, his presence made a sound. I think that's important. God doesn't show up and you don't know. When God shows up, it makes a, a presence It was a tangible presence that Adam and Eve were aware of in some capacity. But here's the most important thing we see in Genesis 3. God desired to be with his people. He made it a regular occurrence to dwell among Adam and Eve to be with them. Yet after the fall, what do we see happen? The relationship with God is fractured. Sin destroys our relationship with God. Broke what Eden was intended to be. Yet as we continue to fast forward through the biblical narrative, what do we see? That God still continues to to desire to be with us. And that someday God would be with us again in the way that he intended to be in Eden. I mean, even think about this. Sometimes what we see in the scriptures, Adam and Eve had sinned and broken that relationship with God. But God still in his mercy did things to begin to restore that relationship. Let me show you one verse, Genesis 3.21. Adam and Eve have been cursed, and they're going to be banished from the garden, banished from this original intended relationship. But what does God do? In verse 21 of Genesis 3, God made clothing from skins for Adam and Eve, and he clothed them with them. They were ashamed of their nakedness. They were sinners, but God in his mercy still wanted to be with them. So what did he do? God himself killed two animals skinned the animals, and made clothing for his creation. Why? Because God desires to be with his creation, the shedding of blood to clothe 
their nakedness. Fast forward to Exodus chapter 25. I want to show you a few other places where God shows us over and over that He desires to be with His people. He desires to restore what was lost in Eden, to be with us yet again in the way He intended. In Exodus 25, we see what's known as the tabernacle. This was the the mobile worship center of God's people, the nation of Israel. It was the place where God would dwell with His people yet again, but in that, what what was known as the sanctuary. It was the holy of holies, the specific place, the spot where the God of the universe would come down out of heaven to dwell among His people. Look at this, Exodus 25, verse 8. He's giving instructions to Moses on building this this tabernacle, and he says, make a sanctuary for me. It was a separate place behind a large curtain. To do what? So that I may dwell among them. What's, What's the desire there? God wants to dwell with His people, to be with them yet again. But in that sanctuary was what was known as the Ark of the Covenant. It was this almost a a box-shaped thing that was overlaid with gold. And on top of that gold were these two angels that were cast out of gold whose whose wings would kind of come over top of this box. And it was on that box that the God of the universe would come down and His glory would rest. And from that spot, God would dwell among His people and speak to the high priest. Exodus 25, verse 22 God said, I'm going to meet you there above the mercy seat. That's where those those angel wings were coming over. And between those two cherubim, that's angels over the Ark of the Testament, to do what? I'm going to speak to you from there, is what he says. So from the tabernacle, which we're talking about, to the temple, which was the permanent worship center of God, God has always wanted to dwell with His people. But here's the problem. The tabernacle shows us that God is approachable, but He's also distant at the same time because of sin. Think about the nation of Israel. Reread in um, Exodus, I think it's Exodus 30 or 31, that God's glory would actually come down uh, during the day in a cloud over the tabernacle. And then at night, God's glory would come down over the tabernacle in the form of a cloud and fire. Imagine being Israel looking off. You're in your camp in the distance and you see the tabernacle and you see the glory of God resting over the tabernacle. You know God is close, yet at the exact same time, God is distant because you can't go to Him. You see, it shows us the heart of God. He desired to be among His people, but sin still needed a solution to make Him fully approachable again. God wanted to be with us, but there was still a sin problem that had to be dealt with so that we could dwell with Him again. God desires to be with us, but also God desires even more than that. He wants to dwell in us because God dwelling in us is the solution to bring God close to us yet again, restoring what was lost in Eden. You fast forward to Joel chapter 2. So we've, we've covered Genesis. We've covered Exodus, which is the law portion of the Scriptures. Let's look at the prophets. These were individuals that God spoke through. They were His megaphone to the world and reminding us of God saying over and over, I want to dwell with my people again. I want to be among them again. I want to restore what was lost in Eden. And someday how I'm going to do that is I'm going to put my spirit in them. Because if I put my spirit in them, then I can fully restore what was lost in Eden. Joel chapter 2. It's a prophetic letter written to the southern kingdom of Judah, if you know anything about Bible history. Judah had been placed under judgment by God, devoured by locusts unless they repented. It's like our cicada stuff going on this past year. And God tells them, more judgment is coming unless you all repent. But if you do repent, I will be gracious to you. Yes, it was a real-life event, but it was also prophetic of you and I. What are we called to do by our God? If we repent, God has a Messiah that can restore our relationship with Him, put His Spirit in us to restore God with us. 
Let me read these verses to you. Joel chapter 2, 28 and 29. Prophetic says, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. And then your sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will have dreams and your young men will see visions. This is talking about the events that occurred in Acts chapter 2. And he says, I will even pour my spirit out on the male and female slaves in the day. What does that mean? It means from the lowest to the greatest, God's spirit would be available for everyone to restore the reality of God with us that was lost in the Garden of Eden. Ezekiel chapter 36. I got some more here. God gives Ezekiel a glimpse into some future realities that he says, I'm a God of, of restoration. I want to restore my relationship with you spiritually. So 600 years before Jesus, what happens? God says, someday I'm going to put my spirit in my people to restore what was lost in Eden. Check it out, Ezekiel 36. God says, I'll give you a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit within you. He says, I'm going to remove your heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, I will place my spirit within you. There it is again. Why? Because God desires to be with his people. If you can't tell, this stuff pumps me up just a little bit. He wants to restore what we fractured and lost to be with our God forever. What sin marred, God wants to bring back together. God with us, write this down, God with us by God being in us. That's so important there. And it culminates in Jesus. From the tabernacle all the way to the Gospels, God keeps saying, I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to restore what was lost. You're going to, I'm going to be your God again. I will dwell among you. I'll be with you. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Restoration of what was lost. How does it occur? It culminates in Jesus by point number two, the spirit being in us. The birth of Jesus set in motion this fulfillment of God's promise here. It's the pinnacle of the Christmas story. P.S. You're allowed to listen to Christmas music as of today if you didn't know. Thank you. Preach, right? Pinnacle of the Christmas story, angel of the Lord in Matthew chapter 1 comes to a man named Joseph and says, this lady that you're betrothed to, your fiance, is going to give birth to a baby, a miracle of God through a virgin's womb, the sinless son of God stepping out of heaven, but he carries a significant name. Watch this, Matthew 1.23, the virgin will become pregnant, give birth to a son, and they're going to name him Emmanuel. Remember what it means? God with us. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, another prophet who foretold it, the angel proclaiming it again. God was with us in Genesis chapter 3. We lost it. We screwed it up. Because we screwed it up, God was simply among us. But now God can be with us yet again. Why? Because the person of Jesus came into the world to pay the sin debt that we owed to God. When Jesus stepped into the reality of, of the human existence, stepped into our timeline, stepped into to our existence, you know what that shows us, the name Emmanuel? He's not distant anymore. He's not the God of the distant tabernacle that we can see and not get to. Rather, he's the God that comes to us seeking the restoration of what we destroyed. That's the greatest news in all of the universe. God was no longer just going to be with us. He says, I'm actually going to be in you now. Because if I can be in you, you can never lose me. You fractured and destroyed it, but if I'm going to put myself in you, you can no longer break it anymore. Check this out. John 14, 17. We just read this. He says that he's the spirit of truth. Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit who's going to come be in us. And the world can't receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do. And he remains in you. And what does Jesus say? Soon and very soon, that spirit's going to be in you. Jesus dies on the cross, resurrects from the grave. He gives us the Spirit of God in Acts chapter 2. A permanent seal and reminder that God is with us. 
Acts chapter 2, you fast forward just a few books in your Bible. What happens? The story shifts. The promise comes to pass. The Spirit of God is poured out on all humanity, like Joel said in Joel chapter 2. And the Spirit of God now dwells inside of you and dwells inside of me if we are the children of God. You see, we were able to fracture and destroy the relationship we had with God in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. But the Bible says that if the Spirit of God now dwells within you, God will forever be with you. You can't destroy it. He has permanently secured and sealed you for all of eternity. Romans chapter 8 says this, that nothing, death nor life, angels or rulers, nothing, no powers of any kind, height or depth, no created thing can do what? It can't separate you from the love of God. It's impossible. He can't do it. But my wife reminded me of this this week, and I'd never really thought about this, that we've really yet to experience the full restoration of what was lost in Eden. Yes, the Spirit of God now dwells in me. God is is with me now. But I've yet to experience a full restoration of what God intended for me in the Garden of Eden and intended for you in order to properly relate to Him. And we're reminded of a couple of realities, and this is what's important. First off, the Holy Spirit is the seal of your salvation. If you've confessed Jesus as Lord, that's permanent. Jesus is indwelling you. The Spirit of God is inside of you. It's permanent. But also the Bible teaches this, that the Spirit is our down payment of the eternal inheritance. That the Spirit is the down payment of what is to come for those that love and serve Jesus. Let me show you this, Ephesians chapter 1. That in Him, that's the Spirit, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel, and you believed... July 3rd, 2003 is when I believed the gospel. And because of that, the Spirit of God dwells in me. He's the down payment of an eternal life that is awaiting for me, the redemption of my possession to the praise of God's glory. Think about this. When you get to heaven, what was lost in Eden will finally fully be restored. You will fully and forever get to experience what God intended for His creation to walk and dwell among them. You say, Aaron, how do you know that that is true? I'd never thought about this. Revelation chapter 21 is my final verse, and then I need to get a drink of water. My goodness. John, writing this prophetic statement about what eternity would be like. And this is a letter written to us, to the churches. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. What does that mean? It means that God has a place for you and I to dwell forever with Him. It's important. Verse 3, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Watch this. Look, the voice says, God's dwelling is with humanity forever. He's going to live with them. They're going to be His peoples. And God Himself is going to be with them. And He will be their God. Do, Do you see the correlation between Genesis 3 and Revelation 21? It's God restoring what we broke. But He's not restoring it temporarily. He's restoring it permanently so that He gets to be with us and us with Him for all eternity. The Spirit of God is the down payment to that reality. And I love verse 4. This is such a good reminder. I had to do a funeral a couple weeks ago. On that day, He's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death's going to be gone. Grief, crying, pain will be no more because everything else has passed away. What our sin caused in Genesis 3 is going to be thrown into the lake of fire for all eternity, and we will be reunited with our God and dwell with Him forever in a place called heaven. And you can take that one to the bank, folks. It's going to happen. Close with this thought. God with us. God in us. We have an approachable God. 
It's one of the most miraculous things. And someday when you and I cross over into eternity, I don't know about you, but the longer I live, the more I desire that day. I will love and serve Jesus with every breath that he gives me on this earth. But the moment I close my eyes and wake up in front of the throne of God, that is the day that you and I will experience the fullness of what it means that God is with us. That God is with us. Made possible through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, thank you for this day. God, I pray that the truth that we've encountered here in the scriptures, this, this idea of, of God with us, would resonate in our spirits this morning. God, we don't serve an unapproachable. You're not unapproachable. But because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, because the Spirit of God resides in us, we have full and complete access to you. You're not a distant God, but you're a close God. God, would you continue to mold that truth into our hearts? Because we know it's only by the word of God that we are changed. So, Father, I pray now as we sing that the songs that exit our lips would be a sweet sound through the corridors of heaven, giving you the praise and the glory that only you deserve. We love you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray these things. Amen.